Are you an overwhelmed SaaS founder ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Maines. Welcome back to the SaaS Fuel Podcast, where April Fool's Day is a day to celebrate those who still use legacy on-premise solutions. I'm your host, Jeff Maines. I help B2B SaaS founders like you profitably scale from seven figures, which is good, to eight and nine figures, which is amazingly great, creating premium valuation, impact, and freedom so that you own your business instead of it owning you. Well, on Tuesday, I gave you a rundown on SaaS Open in New York. And this week, I'm in Tokyo, Kyoto, and a few other places around Japan with some exceptionally smart business people, founders, and entrepreneurs. We're growing revenue, creating strategy, and exchanging ideas. And it has been exceptional and, you know, a little bit rainy as well. You know, we've traveled a, a fair amount by train on this trip to different places, different places around Japan. And it's very different than the horses we ride in Texas. Yeah, not on this trip. But more than once I've been asked, if we really do ride horses to the office and, or if I rode them to school growing up. Well, of course, I live in Texas. How else would you get around? Uh, but last week I was having a conversation with somebody about coming here. And, you know, people are meeting up with goals for the week and ask where I would stay. And, you know, did I speak the language? How was I going to get around? What would I do if I got lost? How would I find my way to places, order food? Because uh, I don't speak Japanese. How do I get cash? How do I buy train tickets? And, and he was really concerned about all this stuff. And uh, really bothered him. Came from a, a really good place, genuinely concerned about my well-being. We've known each other for a long time. And while he was a seasoned business person, extremely successful, he wasn't an entrepreneur. Uh, he was an organized tour kind of person, as, as I would call it. You know, entrepreneurs live with uncertainty and we become comfortable with being uncomfortable. Sometimes so much that we don't really notice the discomfort, which is kind of an odd thing to say. It's a strange thing and I think a, a very good thing as well. At least I think so. See what you think. And through this conversation, I made a discovery. And that is, as an entrepreneur, you know, all I really need is the what. You know, what is a destination? What does success look like? And I don't really need the how and the where and all the other stuff because I'll, I'll figure it out. I mean, all of that, I am fairly confident that I can do if I know the what. So how are we going to get there? You know, the, the, all the logistics and all that stuff, we can figure it out all, all along the way as long as I know where we're going. And I think that's a, a really good skill for entrepreneurs. And it's something I just made a connection for in that conversation and, and on this trip, really been thinking about that. And I think it's a vital skill. And because if we just sit back and wait for all the answers, you know, the train may have already left the station and that's not a, a great place to be. Uh, we actually had a, have had a few people miss a train and even get on the wrong one uh, on this trip. I almost did that myself. We did two train, two subway switches to get to a place. It was confusing. And the only way I pulled it off was being with someone who knew the route. Uh, kind of like a, a good mentor. I mean, they knew the tricky stuff, the switches where we needed, when we needed to do things weird, like go up on the street and walk from one station to another. Why are they not connected? I don't know. But you know, this was with something that someone else knew that I would have had no idea, you know, which train to get on. I mean, spoiler alert, they all look alike. I mean, they're not even like color coded. Their routes are, but the route colors on the map are not the same route colors as the inside. Anyway, 
But lost or found, you know, I really appreciate those that have the entrepreneurial spirit, those that are willing to go out there and put it on the line and sometimes even get lost and find their way back. But the willingness to live in uncertainty in order to bring an awesome SaaS solution to the world. And that's not easy. You know, there are a lot of unknowns. And yet, here you are. Creating, building, clear on the what and figuring out the how along the way. You're not waiting for the how or all the answers. You're taking that step and then figuring out the next step and the next step and the next step. And the rest of the world may not really understand it. And honestly, sometimes may look at us like we're a little bit crazy and they may be a little bit right, but that's okay. You know, I really do appreciate the process and, and that you are on that same journey. And you know, for me, I wouldn't have it any other way. I don't know any other way, but it's that balance of certainty and uncertainty and holding that tension is a really interesting place to be. And that's become crystal clear for me on this trip. This week's episode is sponsored by a new SaaS pricing book that launches next Tuesday. It's called Software Profit Streams by Jason Tanner and Luke Homan. Luke will be my guest next Tuesday. Uh, this book is not your standard business book or your standard snooze fast on pricing, which is what I thought it would be when I first heard about it. But no, it's visual, it's interactive, and it's incredibly well thought out and beautifully designed. There are no walls of text and straight up, it is the best business book about pricing your SaaS that I've ever seen. And if you price like your industry, copy to competitor's pricing page, or just straight up, you know, guessed at your price, then this is a book that you absolutely need. So it releases next Tuesday, April 4th. I'll have Luke on the show on release day. And you can learn more about it at appliedframeworks.com. I'll link it in the show notes. Really, really easy. Go to sasfuel.com and you'll see it there. Software Profit Streams, the book. And I'll take you right to that landing page. So be sure and check it out. And then Luke's episode on Tuesday. Well, our founder guest last Tuesday was Brett Barlow, CEO of Every, a fintech company that is disrupting the two-week pay cycle, making it easier to pay workers instantly. This is just a fantastic concept. I mean, he had really, really great insights into leading remote teams, financing, and growing intelligently. And then our expert guest last week was Travis Chappell, founder, CEO, and the mastermind behind Guestio, the software marketplace that connects you with top-notch talent for your content. Now, Travis shared lots of cool insights on building a successful startup, finding the right talent, and the secrets behind his own podcast called Figuring It Out. I guess it kind of goes with the, the entrepreneurial journey and that certainty and uncertainty, right? My guest this week is Mickey Kennedy. Mickey founded e-releases 24 years ago to help small businesses, authors, and startups increase their visibility and credibility through press release marketing. Yeah, I love that word. I think that's a key word, marketing. Yeah, so welcome someone who can explain what press release marketing is and how we can leverage it, Mickey Kennedy. Hey, Mickey, welcome to SaaS Fuel. Oh, thanks for having me. Well, tell me a little bit about how you got started in press releases and PR. Okay. So uh, about 25 years ago, I was finishing up a degree in creative writing with an emphasis in poetry. And I just assumed I'd be waiting tables the rest of my life. And so <laughs> I did that for a little while and realized that I didn't have the ankles and knees for standing on concrete 10, 12 hours a day. And I also felt just 
exhausted after a full day, you know, taking people's orders and racing back and forth. It, it made me realize that's not an easy job. So I decided I wanted an easy office job. And so I got one at a telecom research startup as employee number three. And uh, because I had the writing background, they said, we want you to send out press releases about the data that we have and try to get stories written and figure it out. And so I would, uh, you know, look at the data and I would find little surprises and I'd ask questions like, you know, why is this one country in the Caribbean generate more traffic to and from the United States than all other Caribbean countries combined? And they said, oh, one nine hundred numbers were based. The call centers were based there. And uh, so I you know, would take that. I'd build out a press release around that. And, you know, published the, the numbers and stuff like that. And the, the media loved it. They, you know, we got picked up by The Economist, Financial Times. There was, I think it's McLean's in Canada. Lots, lots of international uh, publications picked us up as well as like the Washington Post and New York Times. And so I, I got a little cocky and said, this is, this is easy. And, <laughs> uh, you know, it was for them because we were publishing numbers and statistics that no one else had access to. But uh, I was seeing a trend where journalists were calling me and saying, could you email me this? Uh, we would publish a lot of tables with numbers and stuff. And they said that it's easier to, to work off email than faxing, which was what I had been doing at the time, because, you know, this is 25 years ago. And so I sort of thought email seemed like a natural progression from faxing. And it gave me the idea for e-releases to email press releases to journalists. And I spent about a year after work contacting journalists and asking them if I could email them press releases on their topic or their beat. And overwhelmingly, I think like 99% said yes. You know, they were like, and there's no cost for this. And I'm like, no, there's no cost. And so <laughs> I, I launched and for a couple hundred dollars, People could pay me to take their message and send it out to a media in their industry. And uh, it, it worked really well. Over time, the Newswire reached out to me and said, you should include PR Newswire in your distribution. And I pointed out that they charged $1,200 to move a 500-word press release, and I'm just charging a couple hundred dollars. And surprisingly, they didn't go away. They, they, they liked the small business market. They felt that people, small businesses, as they grew, could outgrow me. And start sure. working directly with the wire. And so, and they felt that, you know, we sort of acted as a co-op with, for the small businesses. We held their hands. We answered their questions. A lot of times it was their first foray into doing a press release. So uh, they, they liked uh, helping the small business community and it's been a win-win ever since working with them and uh, getting releases out. That's fantastic. How do businesses, we hear that a lot, that we should be doing PR and press releases and how, how do businesses crack the PR code where they get picked up and they get distribution? So I think that the, the most basic elemental success in doing a press release is having enough information to build a story. Uh, journalists are storytellers. And if you take any good article that you see in the newspaper or a magazine or trade publication online, you're going to see that the, you know, a lot of them gravitate towards a story arc. Um, and they'll share an experience in the story format. And then you go look at the press release that you did and it's a product launch and it just has a lot of bullets of the features. And there's not a lot there that you can build a story on. 
And so I, I tell people, if you have a product launch, I'm sure you had beta testers. What was their experience? You know, what were the results that they saw? Put those in there, get a quote from them. And so all of a sudden you have the elements of company X used this product for three months and saw a 27% reduction in this or a, you know, 15% increase in, in, in this. And uh, here's an amazing quote from them. So you've made it very easy for them to sit there and uh, talk about your product and the introduction of your product. But within the the arc of a story being told and what people's experiences were. And I think that if anything that you have written uh, or seen in a press release, if you go back and say, how can I write this to make it more useful for a journalist to build a story and sort of give that, you'll have a better chance of getting media pickup. That makes a lot of sense. You know, writing it to where you know, there's a reason for them to care that there is a story in there. It's not just information, but there's there's education, there's entertainment, there's something something deeper in there for them to write about a hook. Right, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and so many times that people feel the hook is the the product, and we've launched it, and here's the features, and I'm like, but that's not a story. And yeah. uh, you know, we it, care because we made the product, but right. nobody else and, does. And maybe you don't have a use case study, and you can't go back and create one. But what you could do is, is there a story about how this was developed? Did an employee come in and say, hey? I'm just getting a lot of complaints from people about X, Y, and Z. And we went and, uh, you know, we, we went on a retreat and we talked about what could we do. I mean, just build something that there's a story that people can identify with. Uh, you know, eBay for so long had the story of how the founder created it because I think he wanted to sell his girlfriend's Pez collection. It was completely a made up story created by a PR professional <laughs> that worked for them. but. I think it did so well is because it was it was something that gave someone a story and an arc that put the context of uh, building an auction marketplace. And, you know, what's the genesis for something like that? So there's lots of opportunities for, you know, putting a story in. And sometimes it's, it's sharing the, you know, how it was built or how it, the idea came up or something along those lines. But I think use case studies are the, are the ones that work the best. And, and sharing those and getting quotes from the person is, is really a great way to build out sort of like a product launch type thing. That makes a lot of sense. And the stories like that are great because they're relatable. You know, who, who hasn't had a Pez dispenser? Right. Right. And sometimes embarrassing stories uh, <laughs> sure. work well. I, I had a client that shared a story how their Thanksgiving uh, was ruined uh, because they did a product launch and it, it, it got picked up and did really well. And uh, over Thanksgiving, they, they canceled Thanksgiving and told everyone that they were going to be sh uh, having to ship out product and they were doing this in their garage. And the whole extended family came over and pitched in and they, they got everything ready to move this product. And I said, you should share that. And they were so hesitant. They felt like it's going to make people see that we're just like a small potatoes company and we don't matter. And I'm like, no, this is how every business starts as a, a really small company and you grow from there. And right. uh, people relate to that. And uh, so they included it in a press release and it got picked up in Inc. Magazine. 
And that was wow. one of the stories that they shared. It was completely relatable. You know, we always, yeah. you know, even when we have successes, they're problem, they're problematic because being too successful too quickly, too early is a, a, a major growing pain for a business. And a lot of people can identify with that. So don't be afraid of, uh, you know, sharing your vulnerability and being authentic. What mistakes do companies make in uh, PR press releases? They're the type of mistakes no one's ever going to be fired for. They, they, play, <laughs> they play it too safe and they don't want to upset anybody. So the press release sort of gets written as if it was written by committee and they don't really say anything of substance. So many press releases that we get, I'm like, what's the point of this press release? It's like just here's safe messaging that we're putting out there. I, I hate to say it, but there are times when things become very trendy and people just do a press release for the sake of a press release. There's so many press releases during Black Lives Matters where people just said, oh, yeah, we, we support Black Lives, Black Lives Matters as well. And, and that's interesting. But what, what in this article is compelling or interesting? You know, put some examples of how you are embracing this. Uh, right. You know, talk about your, you know, the, your work culture and what you've done, what changes you've done. No one does that. They just put out a safe statement with a company quote that says something that seems like it's safe and, and, and they just put it out there. And those don't almost never result in media pickup. Um, you have to really, um, you know, have something there that builds a story uh, or tells an arc or says something in a way that's just really beautiful, thoughtful, and, you know, goes completely all in. And so many people just take the safe route. Now, middle of the road, instead of picking a side, you know, right. be, yeah, be, be a little bit controversial, maybe. Right, but, uh, absolutely. But, but choose. Right, absolutely. Yeah, you can't sit in the middle and, and expect to, to get covered. So what, uh, what kind of things would be strategic or newsworthy? So... I always tell people the most strategic thing and most newsworthy thing you can do uh, with a press release is to do a press release on a survey or study that you've conducted within your industry. And I often give this to people who seem discouraged after doing a couple of press releases, nothing really got any media attention. Or if there's someone who just wants to hit the ground running I tell them this is it and their eyes glaze over. They're like, oh, that seems like so much work. But I'm telling you, uh, anybody can go to SurveyMonkey and in 15 minutes build out a four page survey, four questions on each page and then have a link that they can share within 15 minutes. I challenge anyone uh, will be able to do that. I like the four page approach. So if someone quits Midway, you've still got eight responses and you put the, the most compelling questions as the first and then, then you get down on the final page. I always say that's a place where you can relax and put a couple of wacko left field questions. And like I've that. had those work really well. Sometimes just having an open field and asking a question like one of our clients did. What's the strangest thing a customer left in their car while being repaired at uh, the, your <laughs> auto shop? And we got like, I think over 50 wacky, crazy responses. And we ended up picking a few and putting them in the press release. And it did phenomenally well. 
uh, this local auto repair shop in Pennsylvania who told me I'm not important enough to do a survey. And then they said, we don't know who to send it to. And I walked them through the entire process. They got over 10 auto trade publications, picked them up and over 10 newspapers, including their local newspaper that picked them up as well. And it, it, you know, it, it, it did really well. 20 plus articles for one press release is, is phenomenal. And yes. Uh, yes. Uh, that, that really helped them because they were looking for SEO uh, links to their website. And their SEO guy said, if you can get auto industry links, you can, you can rank really quickly. It had a new domain name. Their old one was tied to the yellow pages. I don't remember it, but it was, it was very dramatic. And so within three months of getting these links, they were ranking number one when people were doing searches for them locally, which was their goal. But they also you know, felt really strong and important after that because they, they had this imposter syndrome at first. And finally, they realized that, hey, we did this survey. We put it together. We brainstormed the questions cool. and we picked a question that was really wild that everybody related to and they wanted to know. It wasn't a very statistically relevant question that went viral, but it was a very entertaining. And sometimes just having something that's entertaining and a story can work really well and, and be very receptive. But uh, in their case, they didn't know who to send the survey to. And sure. I, I tell everybody, if, if, you know, look around and do some research, look for uh, small and independent trade associations in your industry. They don't get a lot of love. The big ones do, the big trade associations. And the smaller ones are lean and they can, uh, you know, there's a lot of synergistic opportunities. Just ask them if they'll send that link to their members and exchange, you'll mention them in the press release you'll be issuing over the wire. Almost 80% of them immediately say yes. Some come back and ask if you can co-brand the survey or, you know, they want more uh, guidance into how the survey will be conducted. But I would say more than 90% of them say yes. And uh, so it, it's it's a really easy way to get a built-in audience. And when you do Survey Monkey on the final page, you can send them anywhere. Send them to a page on your website. Uh, so these are people in your industry. These are your, you know, potential, uh, you know, companies that you might see as an enemy, but also uh, partners, partner opportunities sure. to work together. And so uh, it's a great way to introduce yourself to them. And, you know, as part of the survey, you can get their email address through that as well. And it's a great opportunity to, to build a relationship, uh, you know, after that. And there might be some joint venture opportunities and things like that as well. Then you take the survey results, you analyze them. I always say, build out a page on your website where you put all the questions and answers and pick two or three that you feel are the most interesting or intriguing or surprising and build that into a story in a press release and put some quotes in there by you as to why you felt the survey skewed this way and why it was surprising or not surprising. But I like the ones that are surprising because those are the ones that people are like, wow, I never would have thought that. And uh, I, I think that the aha moments are the ones that get people really excited. Then you send it out and you would be surprised the number of places that uh, will pick it up. Uh, they'll often link to the resource page that you have. We have all the questions and answers, including publications that generally do not include URLs. They'll do a article about Spotify, but they won't link to Spotify. But often these places will include that link to that survey page that you had because it's such a resource and they know that there's a lot more information there as well. And so they, they will often, you know, break their own rule and link to you, which helps your SEO. 
uh, from these, you know, major publications and things like that. So it's, it's really just a, you know, a survey or study is just one of the easiest ways to do it and get media attention. And so many of my clients are resistant to do it because they think it's overwhelming and it, it really doesn't have to be a little bit of brainstorming with the questions. Um, you want to ask questions that are really re- relevant today. You don't want to ask timeless questions that aren't going to change over time. But like right now, we have supply chain issues. We have uh, labor problems and issues, HR stuff coming out of a pandemic where people changed how they worked and a lot worked from home. A lot of them don't want to go back into the office. We also have some economic uncertainty. So asking questions about things like that are really, you know, things that people would want to know, you know, is in your industry, are people gearing up to spend 20% less on marketing over the next two quarters? Generally, you know, that that's a really big indicator of something. And so uh, just asking the right questions and brainstorming some left field weird questions as well and putting them towards the end is a great opportunity to see what the results are and what you can make out of it. And sometimes you can produce potentially three or four press releases on one survey or study. It's not unusual for you to do a, a survey, you do a press release, and the journalist goes to the page with all the questions, and they build a story over something that you didn't include in the press release. So, you know, be open to that. And uh, if you see that happening, that's an opportunity to maybe do a press release that focuses on that question a little bit more. And so uh, those are the types of, of press releases that get picked up all day long and do extremely well. And there are other types of strategic types of press releases that you can do. But, you know, that one is the one that I always recommend for people who are a little bit discouraged. You know, other ones that work really well are being a contrarian in your industry on a hot topic item. Uh, Sometimes when something's trending in your industry, everybody's natural inclination is to newsjack. And that's where they just join the conversation. And they all say the same thing everyone else is saying. So, you know, it's hard to stand out in that noise of everybody agreeing. Is there a a topic in this thing that you disagree with or you're comfortable disagreeing with and you won't uh, alienate yourself with your customer (laughs) base? You won't get canceled if you (laughs) disagree with. (laughs) Right, right. So uh, if so, that could be a great opportunity to be a contrarian on the subject. Even if you don't personally feel that way, if you're comfortable being a contrarian, often when the, your industry talks about a topic, they want to cover both sides, but many times they don't because there's no one out there raising their hand saying, I disagree, I disagree. If you're that person, you have the opportunity to be in every one of these articles. It's just a matter of getting that that position out there to the media so that they're aware of you and aware of your stance. Uh, I think that's that's brilliant. And, and just being able to, to take a stand. I like that being, because you can get picked up. Right. If everybody's saying the same thing, then maybe one of those people is going to get picked up. But if you're the the dissenting voice on whatever it is, then uh, you know you're much more in demand. Right, and sometimes being first helps a lot, but that's the hard thing to do. I know of in the telecom industry, there was one guy who every time there was a telecom rumor of a merger, and there was you know this was a time during intense consolidation, so there was always mergers happening. He had a page on his website where he would say, potential merger between this company and this company. Here's my quote. And he would just have, you know, these pre-built quotes for journalists. He got picked up 
everywhere because, <laughs> you know, as soon as the merger was announced, they would go check and his page had, a, had already had a really compelling quote about the merger. It was always negative. It was, he always said, because he always said, this isn't good for the industry. It's not going to be good for consumers. Uh, <laughs> because he expects everybody else to say this is a great thing. And, and of course, the merging companies are going to promote it as good. Yes, we're going to be able to build something bigger and better and help more people. But, you know, what <laughs> happens is you took two competitors and you've reduced them to one. And that was always his take that, you know, less competition is not good for the telecom industry. Oh, that's really, really interesting. And to become known for that as well. So the journalists right. know they can, they can, you know, they have a reliable source. Right. That, uh, and is, is after all. Yeah, after a while, uh, you develop a reputation so that if someone's doing a telecom story, they'll just pick up the phone and call this guy or email him and ask for a quote about something because they know he he knows how the game is played and he comes up <laughs> with really great quotes. Quotes are one of the, the best and most overlooked aspects of a press release because so many people write a safe quote as an afterthought. And what they don't realize is, uh, let's say you wrote an article about a topic in your industry and you had a quote and it gets turned into an article and you're mentioned in the article. And then the managing editor sees it and says, why is this small company I've never heard of mentioned here? And he crosses them out. And it was not unusual for us to have a client inspire a story. And two or three days later, the article goes out and they're not mentioned at all. And it's not on purpose. The writer didn't remove you. It was the managing editor who didn't realize why you were there. If there had been an amazing quote in the middle of that story and it could not be paraphrased without a loss of the magic or creativity of what was said or just the powerfulness of the quote. The, they the can't remove you. They can't remove you. There would be a loss to the story. And yeah. so a uh, quote is one of those uh, you know, places where I, I say spend a considerable amount of time. The headline and the quote are probably the most two important aspects of the press release. And so many people don't realize about the quote that it is a lost opportunity to really make a powerful statement. And sometimes if uh, the quote is powerful enough, they can build the story around it. So what makes a good quote? Well, it, it's it's one of those things like uh, I think uh, a congressperson said about pornography. I, I know it when I see it, but I can't really <laughs> define it. But you're looking for something that can't easily be paraphrased. And sometimes it can be the creativity. You know, I, I have the poetic background. So the flourish of my writing and the, how elevated or, you know, great it is. But it can also just be, you said something so concise and powerful and condensed it in such as two or three sentences that a journalist would have had to build five or six sentences to say something comparable. And so you, it shows that you have an art in condensing and really getting to the meat of, of a topic and not being afraid to, you know, be powerful. You know, active verbs, you know, uh, try to try to elevate the writing as much as you can. But you don't have to be a wordsmith to build a great quote. You just have to say something in a way that is really condensed. And and, you know, it, it would be a loss to paraphrase it. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. You really make yourself indispensable uh, in the, the press release with a, a great quote. Absolutely. Yeah, that's really smart. Uh, are there specific things that, you know, we should do in, in doing press releases? Uh, are there events 
or you know dates or things like that that we should you know stay away from or that we should focus on well i it's it's funny you talk about dates early in the industry everybody would do press releases on mondays if it's good news and Fridays if it's bad news. So if you're a publicly <laughs> traded company, you do your press release after the market closes on Friday. But here's the funny thing. Funny, but true. It, it, did Monday morning, all the articles were still be there, even though you issued it on Friday. You didn't fool anybody. Uh, <laughs> and, and the people who all issued on Monday, there's so much competition that only a few got picked up. So uh, there's no magic day for doing a press release. I, I, I say, you know, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, even Fridays are fine. I think Mondays still get slammed because so many people do schedule for Mondays. I personally don't like it. And so I do steer people towards Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Fridays, but Tuesdays are getting slammed as well. So I see nothing wrong with Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, but there is no magic day per se, but I do think there is more competition on Mondays and it's looking like that on Tuesdays as well for, you know, the same reason that the smart ones are moving from Monday to Tuesday. <laughs> Things to look for like milestones or certain dates. I mean, if you're a consumer product, you do want to keep in mind that, you know, by certainly by now or, you know, early October of each year, you kind of want to have your press release about uh, holiday gift ideas out because a lot of magazines and publications have a long time to go to print. And so you want to make sure you, that you're a few months out, uh, you know, for, for something that's like a holiday gift idea. But press releases like that can work really well. If, if you can draft a press release that really creates a great story and has a little energy to it as to why you would be a perfect a uh, gift idea for certain people, uh, you can do extremely well, you know, with getting out there uh, in holiday gift guides and things like that. I say that any opportunity to stand apart from anybody else is, you know, something that can work really well. I think that if you're in the health and fitness arena, you know, is there something that you could draft later in the year so that you're not focusing on the new year's press release because so many people are doing articles on health and fitness then that the competition is just through the roof, but maybe you could build out something that's kind of interesting for Mother's Day and fitness or health and something like that. So, you know, look at these other opportunities that maybe uh, people aren't aligning themselves to. And is there an opportunity there for you to do a promotion or a push at a time that, you know, no one else has claimed and you can start claiming it. It, you know, and it's one of those things that takes a little bit of trial and error, but if you get it right, it's, you can easily replicate it and, and uh, do it again and again. It's fantastic. Well, where can people find out more about you and e-releases online? So uh, the website is e-releases.com. All my social media is on the lower right. The LinkedIn is the only one that I personally check. I have people who handle the rest because I don't really know much about how Instagram and <laughs> Uh, all, Pinterest and all this other stuff works, but feel free to call the office or chat or email. Uh, we only have editors. We have no salespeople. There's no quotas or commissions or anything like that. We generally, are, you know, my, my staff is empowered to say, honestly, if we don't feel like press releases are going to work for you. So uh, we really try to help small businesses that we feel that we can help and build from. 
one of the things I, I do want to make available is I have a free uh, video masterclass. It's less than an hour. I created it for my customers to do more strategic types of press releases. Um, but it's basically something that if you go through the exercise, you'll be able to audit your business and do a brainstorm of strategic ideas and strategic types of press releases that generally work. And so you're avoiding the types of press releases that don't work. And it's available at ereleases.com slash plan, P-L-A-N. Uh, and again, it's completely free and it's it's less than an hour. And I think that anybody who is open to press releases is a great place to start and get a real sense of what you could be doing with press releases and the types of meaningful press releases that will get turned into articles. That's fantastic. And we'll make sure and link that in the show notes. And so everybody should go over there and take a look at that. And, uh, and e-releases as well. Significantly less expensive than uh, the PR Newswire with uh, the same and even maybe better distribution or different distribution anyway. <laughs> so it's definitely something that everybody should check out. So really, really impressed with what you built and, and making PR accessible to really everybody. So it's not limited to, to just bigger companies or those that want to drop uh, crazy dollars on a, a single single shot release. <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, really making it accessible to everybody and not just accessible, but actually doing something that's actionable. Things that are going to get picked up. Things that, that what we're doing press releases for is, uh, is to create stories and earn media. So I really appreciate that. All right. I appreciate you being on the show today. No, thanks for having me. Uh, I could have probably talked for another two or three hours, but that's, <laughs> I love what I do. I love PR. I love press releases and I love the opportunities that it opens up for small businesses. Fantastic. Thanks again, Mickey, for coming on the show and sharing your insights and resources. Learn more about Mickey and e-releases at ereleases.com. You know, there are so many great ways to use press releases and press release marketing, I think is a fantastic term. And there's also so many ways that companies screw this up. And that would include me. I've made that mistake so many times. So yeah, let's fix that together. Uh, you'll know a good versus bad press release next time you see it, especially after this episode. And as always, all links, highlights, resources, full show notes are available at sasfuel.com. We'll link everything right there for you. And while you're there at sasfuel.com, please subscribe or follow us. Everyone who subscribes this week gets a round trip ticket. One-time listeners, you only get to go one way. So definitely subscribe and we'll bring you back next week. We'll even make sure that you get on the right train. The SaaS train, I suppose. Join me back stateside next week for a conversation with our founder, Luke Holman. He is founder and CEO of First Root, a serial entrepreneur, author, inventor, agile development expert, and co-author, like I've said, of Software Profit Streams. It's a great discussion on pricing, including the Profit Stream Canvas, which that'll be something we'll give to you. And it's going to be an outstanding episode. I'm really excited about it. Our expert next Thursday is Scott Stover, founder and CEO of Scale Matters. He shares how B2B companies build go-to-market engines that reduce CAC, shorten sales cycles, and drive capital-efficient growth. That's a big word right now, efficient growth. Yeah, I don't think it ever goes out of style, and we're going to be talking about that next Thursday, one week from today. So I will see you next time. And as always, from Tokyo, enjoy the journey. See you stateside. Thanks for listening to SAS Fuel. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned, are available at sasfuel.com. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts 
And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash sassfuel. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes.